God bless all of you. Hello. Merry Christmas. Find your seats. Uh, it's good to be back with you all. Last week, uh, my wife and I, we got to go on a little vacation without our kids because I have the best uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law in the world, and they might be watching online. Hi, guys. Uh, they watched our kids. We got to go on a little six-day vacation to the place where my mom's family is from, Scotland, Ireland, and England. I stood in the place where St. Patrick's Patrick's preached his messages to the Celtic people and baptized and then set the revival off on the whole island nation. We got to go into cathedrals that were like a thousand years old. We got to go into churches and just look up and keep looking up at the beautiful stained glass. And I just thought, man, people gave to this church building project. And for some of these buildings, it took like six, 700 years. They didn't even know like the, like what they were giving to. And here these buildings stand as the presence of the Lord and where people have worshiped for literally hundreds of years. It was wonderful. So that's where I was last week. In case you were wondering, where was Joe? Where was Erica? That's where we were a vacation without the kids, just purely for fun and to see the sights. That's where we were. Uh, today, I just want to give uh, really just another announcement about something called the Legacy Offering, which maybe you got an email from Brady Boyd this week. He's the senior pastor over all eight congregations at New Life Church. And the Legacy Offering is an offering that New Life is receiving to pay off the debt for New Life North's building. And you're like, well, why, why are we paying off another church's building? First of all, it's all the same church. And they're the sending church. New Life North's building, if we pay that off. It's kind of like, in my mind, the analogy of like, we're going to pay off mom and dad's house so that they could keep sending kids to college, so they can keep doing the good things that mom and dad have been doing all these years. They sent us. New Life Manitou is a plant from New Life North. And the hope one day for us, like I still have this on my hopes and dreams, is that we would have a building of our very own. We're right now we're in rented space. We would love to have a building, a presence, a longtime presence of our very own. And if we pay off, imagine like some of you, this might be the case, but imagine if you had no rent and no mortgage, your house is paid off. How much money would you have every month to give, to spend, to see God's work happening on the earth? So that's what the legacy offering is. It's above and beyond our tithes and offerings. It's for to pay off the debt that we have so that there's no more debt so that we can do a whole lot more ministry monthly. Cool beans? Cool beans. It's, it's, it's. I'm really excited about it. We've paid off already this year. Uh, we were at this year, 2022, 9 million. We've paid it down to $5 million. And so the hope is that this year with this offering, we will pay off that whole debt and there will be a, just an outpouring of financial blessing upon our church to release more ministry. Amen. That's what we're supposed to, not cool beans. Amen. 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 Sorry, I said cool beans. We're in church, for goodness sakes. We say amen. I take one week off and I forget where I am. Um, I get to announce uh, a guest speaker today. I will be back in the pulpit next week. Uh, I have a sermon next week about angels that I think was very relevant. I think there was a poll not too long ago that said more people believe in angels than God and the Bible and Christianity in America. Like people are more willing to say, oh yeah, I believe in angels and guardian angels and all that stuff. So it's, I think it's a real connecting point with us and people who are spiritual in Manitou Springs. It might be one of those things that like connects us. Like, oh, you believe in angels? Well, we we do too. So I have a whole theology, uh, a, lesson, a sermon on the theology of angels, angelology that I will preach next week as we approach and go to into Advent towards Christmas. And so today we have the pleasure 
of hearing from someone you've heard from him one other time this summer. His name is Rory Kendrick Green. He's a pastor uh, of New Life East, and he's here today to preach for us. And he's a phenomenal reader. I'm always asking him about books to read, and he tells me books, and I put him on my list of books to read, and he got really good book recommends. He's a really good, like honestly, a spiritual gift of storytelling. So he's, he's a lover of the word. He's a great storyteller. Would you help me welcome, with a New Life Manitou, welcome Rory Green to our pulpit today. Thanks, Joe. Cool beans, guys. Cool beans. Well, guys, thank you so much for, uh, for having me today. As Joe said, my name's Rory. I'm one of the pastors over at New Life East, and uh, it's a treat to be here with you guys today. You guys packed this place out today. It's a full crowd. I'm excited. Are you guys excited to be at church today? Yeah? Fairly excited? Some of you are still waking up. It's 10 o'clock, people. Let's, uh, let's get on it. I have two kids, so we've been up since uh, six. So if I'm awake, you can be awake too. Um, we're in the season of Advent right now, and this is what would be known as like the second week of Advent, which across the church calendar, across church history, has been the, the weekend of peace. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today is peace. And I don't know what comes to mind when you hear that word. Um, but we're gonna start in Isaiah chapter nine. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. If you don't, the scriptures will be up here on the screen, before we hop into the scriptures, would you simply pray with me and invite the Lord to be in the midst of us today? God, we, um, we quiet our hearts before you. As we prepare to open the scriptures, we focus our minds upon the things that only you can reveal to us. Um, the beauty of the season of Advent is that it's a season of waiting. It's a season of waiting because God knows that in the world in which we live in, the lives that we occupy, we are often waiting for goodness to reveal itself to us. We are often waiting for the prodigal sons and daughters to return home. We are often waiting for our careers and vocations to take shape. We're often waiting for our finances to figure themselves out. So God, what we do in this moment is simply present all of that waiting to you and say, come Holy Spirit. Because Advent is not just waiting, it's waiting with anticipation. And so what we believe, God, is that in our waiting, in our deepest longings, in our deepest hopes and dreams, we have hope. Because we're not just waiting blindly, we're waiting believing that there is something coming. Something coming that is good for us. Because that's the kind of God that you are. So Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes today, open our ears to hear the scriptures in a new, profound way, and would you open our lives up to do something with these scriptures in a way that maybe we have not considered before? We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. amen. First, let's talk about that word peace. I don't know what happens when you hear it. In the Western world, the way that we think about peace um, tends to be the absence of things. Right, so when we think about peace, peace is what happens when like war ceases. Peace is what happens when bad things go away. Peace is what happens when your kids quit throwing things. Peace is what happens when your husband stops working on a project in the garage. Peace is what happens when your spouse quits spending money without talking to you about it. Peace is what happens when things go away. It's interesting, though, because in sort of the biblical worldview, the, the eyes of the writers of the scriptures, that's not what peace 
is. Peace is this word, this Hebrew word shalom. Let me hear you say shalom. And shalom echoes all the way back in the scriptures to the beginning of time where God creates the world and all things are in their right and proper place. This is shalom. This is what peace is. It's not the subtraction of things. It's actually this reality right in the midst of the world in which we live. And shalom was the word that they would pronounce when a debt, a massive debt, had finally been completely paid off. Shalom was what peace was. Shalom was what happened when marriage vows were finally done and completed being spoken. Peace in the mind of the Bible is when things are all in their right place. I might say it this way, peace is the gift of life as it was always meant to be. And you hear that definition and it makes you feel so good. But then, it also makes you a little uncomfortable. Because if we're honest, most of us are longing for life as it was always meant to be and we rarely feel like we experience it. We look around the world and see the chaos and the difficulty that is going around and, and we think to ourselves, well, peace sounds lovely, but I'm not sure that I've ever quite experienced it and it doesn't really look like it's on the horizon. But peace for the writers of the scriptures was again, not this absence of conflict, not things being pulled away so that we can then have peace. Peace was goodness and rightness right in the middle of all of the conflict. I think about a time not long ago, I was in Southern California and I was working with the church, doing some stuff, and I was getting ready to take a lift from the church that I was at to the airport. I was getting ready to fly home. And I hop into the lift, and I'm the worst kind of guy to sort of sit in an Uber or a lift because I do not want to talk to you as a driver at all. I just want to sit there. I want to be quiet. We don't need to pretend that we're going to be friends after this. Like, we're just going point A to point B. And I sit down in this car, and my driver, his name was Dan, and Dan starts talking to me and I immediately am trying to give the subtle hints of like, hey man, I don't, I just wanna sit here and like get to the airport. I'm like emotionally drained, I've been with people all day. Dan doesn't pick up on any of those hints. <laughs> so Dan just keeps talking and moment after moment, Dan, he's telling me his story and now I feel like I'm sucked into it. So I ask him, I say, Dan, you know, what do you, what'd you do before you drove Lyft? And he said, oh, I was... I was uh, higher up in the Department of Defense. And I'm like, man, why are, you, why are you driving Lyft? And he was like, well, my wife died not long ago. And he tells me this tragic story of his wife's passing. And he says, when she passed, myself and everyone I worked with recognized that I just I couldn't keep up with the pace of life. I couldn't keep going with what was going on. I was, I was heartbroken. I was ripped apart. And so I left my career and I moved out to Southern California. And he's like, I'm just driving Lyft to sort of make ends meet and he tells me all this and, and the way he tells the story, it's all happened in the last six months. His wife has passed, his kids have sort of become disconnected from his family, his career that he once had is completely gone and he looks at me, no lie, in the rearview mirror and he says, how do I have peace now? And I thought, man, I really don't wanna have this conversation. <laughs> but he looks at me and he says, man, how do I have peace now, and it's that moment when he knows you're a pastor, so the conversation has now taken a very different turn. It's not just him talking to a Lyft rider, he's talking to someone who can maybe help him. And I could feel the pain in his voice, I could feel the difficulty in his voice. He's, he's looking at life as it is, and he's going, I long for life as it was always meant to be, but it is just not happening. We've all felt that feeling. 
If we long for peace, we long for things to be made right, we long for relationships to sort of be put back together and it's just not happening. I can't help but wonder if some of it is that we look for peace in all of the wrong places. I can't count the amount of times that I've thought myself or I've heard someone say, you know, if I could just lose those 20 pounds, things will be right. If I could just make like a little bit more money in my paycheck every week, things will be right. If I could just get so-and-so to think positively about me, if I could just get my boss to approve of me, if I could just do more stuff, if I had more time, if I could do more, we start to just sort of add to it, man, if I could just get those things, then life will be right. We feel it in the midst of chaos and conflict and You might be wondering, what does any of that have to do with like Advent and Christmas? It has a lot actually to do with Advent and Christmas. I told you we'd be in Isaiah chapter nine and I want you to look at verse six. There's this incredible prophecy that's made by this guy named Isaiah and you'll hear it all over the holidays around this time. He'll say, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of... And you might be surprised to know that when Isaiah spoke these words out loud, the world in which he found himself was anything but peaceful. The people of God were actually in somewhat of a civil war. The North was warring with the South. Think think like the American Civil War. The brothers are fighting brothers. Cousins are fighting cousins. Sisters are torn against one another. The nation is split. But for them, it wasn't just that the nation was divided. They had these out, these external superpowers, Assyria being the primary one, that is sort of looking at them being like, man, they're gonna tear themselves apart and then we can step in and conquer all of these people. So it created an, an immense amount of torment in the people of God. As they're sitting there, they're at war with one another and there's this looming battle that could come out in the distance. Assyria could step in at any moment. And then Isaiah steps in and he predicts Some crazy stuff. And what's fascinating about Isaiah is his prophecies, what we can understand about history, when he would sort of say something, proclaim something, prophesy it, politically especially, it just happened. So he would be the guy who would stand up in the middle of the city and announce, this is who will be king. Wouldn't you love someone like that when we get around election time? You wouldn't even have to worry about it. You'd just be like, what's gonna happen? They'd tell you, be like, great. Some of you are like, maybe I don't want that at all. Maybe I just, I like the mystery of it. Let's just keep going. But when Isaiah would say something, it would, it would just sort of happen, it would, it would come true. And he predicted some wild things. You think about 700 years before Jesus was alive, Isaiah was this voice that he was crying out when he said it would happen, it would happen. And what happened to someone like Isaiah with all these incredible predictions? Well, people don't love to hear the future when they didn't ask for it. So Isaiah was literally sawed in half. His life was shortened, no pun intended. And um, some of you will get that in the car. It was like a magic trick gone horribly wrong. You can see the, the, the moment that Isaiah is standing in, the panic and the fear that exists in people, the, the uncomfortability with the looming future, the worry of war and poverty and destruction, knowing that at any moment their cities, their towns, their homes could be burned down, torched, invaded. This is the world in which they're living in. And at the height of all of this sort of insane bravado and political unrest, Isaiah announced that there will be a king who will come in the future that will put everything back into its right place. The word he uses is peace. He says this, it will be a king. He says this, you will break the yoke of their slavery 
and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Hear what the prophecy is about this king, this coming prince of peace. He will step into the oppression, to the pain of the people. He will break the yoke of slavery that has been put on their shoulders. There will be no more oppression. There will be no more threats. There will be no more evil that is looming on the outside of their lives. Coming up, he says, the boots of the warriors and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. Because there's peace, the question looms, what do you do with all the things that you use for war? Well, Isaiah says you're gonna throw them away. You don't need them anymore. What a beautiful picture of the world to come. There'll be no reason to put on the, the shirt and the pants and the boots and go battle with your brother. It just won't be needed. And then he gives us this picture of complete shalom, the verse that we've already read. For unto us a child is born, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the proclamation made about Jesus and what is coming in this season. Now, can we shift for a second? One of the ways that Isaiah talks about the the pressures that they're feeling is he uses this, this picture language of a yoke. And a yoke was something that would be placed on cattle to help them sort of accomplish the agricultural tasks of the day, to pull a plow or, or to carry a load. But there's another way that they could use that word back in Isaiah's time. It wasn't just the picture of something an animal would wear, but yoke was like a metaphor for what you as a person would step in under the teaching of a rabbi or a teacher or a priest and what they would do when they would tell you this is how you are to live your life, they would be placing a metaphorical yoke on your shoulder. You would be saying, okay, I'm gonna adopt this way of living. Some of you do this. When Joe stands up on a Sunday and he teaches, he's teaching about Jesus, but what you're doing is you're sort of stepping into the yoke that, that Joe is presenting and you're going, okay, I'm gonna attempt to live the way of Jesus as Joe is describing it to me. Now what Isaiah says is that this coming king, this new prince is gonna present a yoke that will not be oppressive, it will not be connected to slavery, it will not be connected to pain, it will not be connected to war, it will be a new way to shoulder the very crippling weight of life. And Jesus' yoke was different from every rabbi that was around at the time. And the way that Isaiah puts it is that the way you will carry this yoke will actually create peace in your life. Later on, some of you know these words of Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is light. Can I propose something to you today as I think about this? This passage in Isaiah, we can see the war, the pain, the oppression, the slavery, the turmoil that's going on all around it. And if you're like me at all, you read that and you go, well, Jesus coming as a prince of peace into that makes a ton of sense. But in my own life, I don't know what those things are. Thankfully, we don't live in a war-torn country. We live in a place that's politically a mess, but we don't live in a place that you're walking outside and someone's trying to take your life. Thankfully, no one has walked in here today with any malintent towards us. So what is the thing that's like holding us? What is the weight that is sitting on our shoulders? The great enemy of peace in your life, my friends, is not your family. It's not war. It's not poverty. The great enemy of peace in your life today is the pace of your life. Now hold on to that. 
The great enemy of peace in most of our lives today is the pace of our lives. Why do I say that? Let's just have a little uh, social experiment here. Have you found yourself standing in the grocery store preparing to check out? And you do a hyper quick evaluation of the length of each of the grocery lines. No, just me, okay. And you begin to figure out, you begin to analyze how many carts are in each line. And then, and then if you're really good, you take an evaluation of the people running the counters. And you start to think, that one looks sufficient. They look like they're not gonna be all there. This is the quickest lane. Anyone ever done that? Maybe you found yourself driving. Maybe it was even on the way to church this morning and you pulled up to that stoplight with multiple lanes and you thought to yourself, which way am I gonna get out of this light faster? Maybe should I even turn right and go a completely long way around? Have you found yourself multitasking to the point that you are actually not accomplishing any of the tasks very well? (laughs) Have you found yourself getting dressed in the dark in the morning? Have you found yourself getting dressed in the dark in the evening so that you can get up earlier in the morning? Are you living your life in such a way that you are planning for the pace of it because you know there's just no way you can slow it down? Listen, friends, the great enemy of peace in our lives in 2022 is not war, it's not a military superpower, it's not oppression, it's not slavery for most of us. It's the pace of our lives. Let me... Let me just tell you what I mean by this. There was a study that was done by a professor named Michael Zigarelli. He did this study on Christians. It was done in around 2016, 2017. And one of the things that they began to find out was that the great distraction for a growing spiritual life in Christians wasn't like sin. It wasn't actually like their church attendance. It wasn't their giving. It wasn't if they were liars or not. The greatest thing that was detracting them from spiritual growth was the pace of their life. This is a quote from the study. We recognize that Christians began to assimilate into a culture of busyness. And as they did this, God became marginalized. One of the quotes that they heard most often was, I only think about God at church on Sundays. It is all I have time for. Which meant that their relationship with God began to slowly evaporate, which led them to then thinking less and less like they were a part of the kingdom of God and more and more like they were just a part of the world in which they lived. They became busy, self centered, overstimulated, and they found themselves in that cycle over and over again. Now, here's what's interesting there's no doubt that we feel this immense crushing pace during the holidays especially. But for most of us, it doesn't start after Thanksgiving and it doesn't end on January 1. This is a long-standing thing. So it's such a big issue in our culture that psychologists have now come up with a term to sort of describe what people are experiencing and it's called hurry sickness. Any of you ever heard of this? Let me give you some of the... um, some of the symptoms of hurry sickness. The first is irritability. I'm sure none of you in here have ever been irritable. Hypersensitivity, that feeling when you're like, I feel like I've looked at a screen for far too long today, but I don't know why I feel that way. Restlessness, workaholism, emotional numbness. Your priorities are out of order. There's a lack of care for your body. You practice escapist behaviors, you function with your distraction of choice, your cell phone, Netflix, social media. And then all of a sudden there's a slippage of spiritual disciplines and the 10th symptom 
is isolation. And the whole room goes quiet and everyone feels a little bit of guilt. Hurry sickness, this is a thing now in our culture. The great enemy of peace in our lives is not some external thing, it is the pace at which we move. So let me ask you guys a question this morning as we sit here and just sort of ponder this. Is my busyness negatively affecting fill in the blank? Is it negatively affecting your peace? Probably. Is it negatively affecting your ability to become like Jesus? Probably. Is it negatively affecting our tendencies to sort of turn to to sinful things when stress and anxiety hit their peak? Is it negatively affecting, let me ask you this question, is it negatively affecting your legacy? So many of us think about the lives that we want to live, the lives that we want to leave behind for our kids, our grandkids, our our nieces, our nephews, the way that we want to be remembered in their mind. The interesting thing about the pace of our lives is that it thrusts the decision upon us to make choices so quickly. And very rarely are we making the choices that lead to the legacies that we say we wanna leave behind. Is your busyness negatively affecting your own spiritual formation? I'm a pastor, I'm a professional religious person, and I can't tell you the amount of times I have said to myself under my breath, I just don't have time to pray today. Just me? I just don't have time to like sit and read like even a psalm today. I just don't have time to do it. And some of you sitting here today, you've been saying those things to yourself long enough that when you come into church, what you feel is a level of guilt and shame because your soul feels a little bit dead and lonely. You haven't cultivated it. You haven't presented it to Jesus in a, in a significant way. And you wonder, why are you so like spiritually empty? And if it's true for me, it's true for you that most of us are in too big of a hurry to think about spiritual growth. One of the other things I think about with this is that peace and hurry are just flat out incompatible. Uh, What was the thing that Jesus said was the greatest commandment in the kingdom of God? He said the greatest thing is to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus presents love as the highest, highest ethical value in the kingdom of God. Think about love just as itself for a second. Love and hurry are completely incompatible. If you have kids in the room, you know this. When they were young and you would have to put them to bed, you would like, you had a whole bedtime routine, you would like do a bath, you would like sing a song to them, you would like dance and perform, whatever you could do to get them to go to sleep. You know what doesn't work in those moments? Saying to your kid, would you just hurry up, please? Would you just get, please, come on, we gotta go to bed. Every time I've tried that with my kid, he's up till like 11 o'clock. He's like throwing a rager in his room. Have you ever tried, think about your spouse, did your spouse ever come to you and said, hey, listen, I've gotta talk about something. I'm, I, I'm feeling a lot. There's a lot going on at work. There's a lot going on in my soul. I need someone to talk about it. Can you imagine what would happen? And some of you men have probably done this before and been like, hey, that's great, but like five minutes? Can you like get through the, like Monday night football's coming on. Love and hurry are incompatible in the kingdom of God. You know this to be true. But peace and hurry are incompatible in the kingdom of God as well. You can't hurry through life the whole time expecting that you're gonna get the same fruitful outcome in your life if you were to move slow. Listen, the the whole Bible is a picture of a God who does not rush things. 
which means you can't rush through them either. Peace and hurry are completely incompatible. You've noticed this in your family. You've tried to have those hard conversations and just get through them quickly and then hoping that everything will just work itself out. But it rarely ever does. I think about myself as a parent trying to hurry through parenting. Parent, good parenting, those of you who have experienced good parenting, you know this. Those of you who have experienced bad parenting, you know this as well. The parent who just looks at you and goes, can you just figure it out? It doesn't work. I think about it with our kids all the time. We're trying to teach our three-year-old all sorts of things all the time. Can you, can you just figure it out? Can you just please fix it? And you know what happens every time? It doesn't work. It requires more and more time and energy because peace and hurry are not compatible. I'm looking at him going, can you not make my life harder? And he's like, if you rush me, I will make it harder. <laughs> just slow it down. Listen, friends, the great enemy of peace in your life is the pace of your life. And I would guess that if we could extract one thing from the reality of Jesus's life, from him being this sweet little Christmas baby to a revolutionary who ends up giving his life for us, it's that somehow the character that every gospel writer presents to us about Jesus is that he never once lacked peace. Jesus never looked at his crowds and his disciples and his students and said, guys, we gotta hurry up. There's too much to lose. He never did that. I don't picture Jesus as the guy who stands in the supermarket evaluating the effectiveness of the clerks. I don't picture Jesus as the guy driving a car. I can't picture Jesus driving a car, but I don't picture him as the guy driving a car evaluating which lane will get him from point A to point B faster. I don't picture Jesus as the guy who is so quick to rush through love and relationships that he misses out on the needs of people. In fact, we almost every time see the opposite. That Jesus is not only the God who is willing to sort of step away and be alone with him and the Father, but he is also the kind of God who is willing to walk slow enough to see the pain and the wounds of the world, that he's willing to step down into them with it. Some of you, the difficulty is, that when you hear talks or this idea of slowing down, of lessening the pace of your life, the voice that you hear in your head is like the voice of someone giving a motivational speech, which is you're gonna lose your effectiveness if you slow down. You're not gonna be as good of an employee. You're not gonna be as good of a parent. You're not gonna be as good at making money. You're not gonna be as good at, at building your kingdom, whatever it is. But what Jesus is constantly presenting to us is that effectiveness in the kingdom of God looks completely different. Effectiveness does not look like how quick did you get from point A to point B. Effectiveness in the kingdom of God looks like did you lose your soul on the way or not. You might be thinking, I'm gonna lose my effectiveness. You're, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm gonna lose out on the things that are so important to me. You're not gonna lose out of them. Hurrying is only an enemy to the peace of your life. This is why the pastor and writer John Ortberg at one point reflecting on the words of Dallas Willard, he simply said this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. In fact, a pastor by the name of John Mark Comer wrote a book a few years ago called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is really just a reflection on some of these ideas that Dallas Willard and John Ortberg presented. But this is what John Ortberg says, that if hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life, we must do everything we can to eliminate it from our lives as well. Stepping back into the ancient Middle East, I think of the night that Jesus was born, we think of these stories 
And Jesus was born in this little village called Bethlehem. You know the story. People had been running around like crazy because there was a national census going on. People are losing their mind. Bethlehem was not a big city, but it was an ancient one. So when they called for a census, you had to go back to where your ancestors and your family were from. So they were scurrying all around the country to get back to their hometown. Some of you are gonna do that in a few weeks, trying to see family for Christmas. And there's this group of people that's sitting out on a hillside. We see them in the story of the nativity as the shepherds. They're just sort of hanging out out there and an angel comes and appears to them. But what we know about these shepherds is that these are like scruffy dudes who are like hanging out in a field all day long with sheep and sheep are dumb, so they're tired, they're exhausted, they've been putting in as much work as they can. Being a shepherd was a rough life. You're out in the elements all day long caring for these animals. And notice in this story, while everyone is traveling and lining up, trying to figure out the census, these kids are still out there by themselves. They're still out there tending to the thing that has been placed before them. They're working. And I wonder if they stood back and they saw all these people running, losing their minds, trying to get from point A to point B, and they thought to themselves, man, nobody ever sees us. Nobody cares about us. They're all moving so fast. They're not even paying attention to what's going on. And these are the same people that they're looking at that become too busy, too frantic, too stressed, too hurried, too quick with their pace of life to notice that somewhere in a manger, God has come in the flesh. They're moving so fast with so much chaos. They're so stressed. And these shepherds somehow have this keen awareness. You know this in the book of Luke, starting in verse eight in chapter two, it says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't, Be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Now think about these shepherds for a moment, these scruffy, tired, exhausted, worn out boys. Standing in this field, they have had this miraculous moment with the choirs of heaven, but they still have their job to do. And what do these shepherds do? They get up and they leave all of it for a moment. Don't miss what these shepherds choose to leave behind. It wasn't like they could just be like, hey, sheep, you guys hold it down for a minute. We're gonna go see this Messiah. Shepherds were treated so brutally. If they were to lose a sheep, there's stories, historical accounts, that shepherds would not just be like losing pay, they would be beaten, they would be mocked, they would be abused. So much of what happens when the pace of our lives overwhelm us We think about all the places we need to slow down. The first thing we say to ourselves is, you don't have any idea how much I would lose if I slowed down. You don't know how much I would lose if I stopped doing this thing and took a step towards Jesus and his life, his way of seeing the world. You don't know what would happen to me. These shepherds count the cost of stopping and they go to see the Messiah. Don't minimize what they walked 
away from in order to witness what was more important, what God was doing in their lives. Listen, friends, we cannot be the kind of people in 2022 who rush through life and then miss what God is doing. We can't. We cannot be those kinds of people. These shepherds, they get up, they go into town, they find Mary and Joseph and a baby in a manger and exactly like the angels had told them, they become filled with awe and wonder and we know them as the shepherds who left the thing behind to go with the more important thing. They left behind the thing that was demanding and told them, you cannot step away from this. You cannot step out of the fast lane. They walked away and they found awe and wonder in Jesus. Listen, friends, here's my application for you today. Super practical. Do not rush past what God is doing in you and around you this season. Do not rush past it. So practically, when you leave today, actually stop at the stop sign. When you leave today, drive the speed limit. When you leave today and you go shopping, get in the longest line on purpose. When you leave today, tomorrow morning, when you wake up, open your Bible before you open an email. That email will still be there. Trust me, they don't go away. When you, when you go home tonight, talk with your family before bed. Talk with your kids. Talk with your spouse. Don't scroll on your phone. Don't binge a show on Netflix. Slow your life down. Listen, the peace that Jesus brings into the season of Advent, into the season of waiting, is not meant to just exist as we think about sweet baby Jesus. It's meant to exist in all of your life. Jesus was peaceful from cradle to the cross. You can be too. With that in mind, I wanna pray these words over you this morning from the scriptures. Some of you know this. This is from the translation that Eugene Peterson wrote, the message. It's Matthew chapter 11. So I wanna invite you, open your hands out, receive these words today as I pray over you. These are Jesus's words to you, my friends. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Father God, for my brothers and sisters in this room, we ask that the word peace would find a place to live in our souls today that we would not leave here having forgotten what the preacher said, that we would not leave here sort of disregarding it as kind words and niceties, but that we would, we would leave here with a deep sense that shalom is what you have for us. That a deep sense of peace is what you are inviting us into. And that the temptation to look around our lives and say, God, I'll have peace when you fix this. God, I'll have peace when 
this kid comes home, God, I'll have peace when my finances are in order, that that is a lie. That peace is actually available to all of us right here in this very moment. The peace is not goodness and rightness when conflict disappears, but it is actually the goodness and rightness of God right in the midst of it. And with the invitation to slow down, become a part of who we are. That we would not miss what it is you are trying to do in us, that we would not miss what it is you are trying to do around us, that we would not miss what you are trying to do at New Life Manitou this holiday season. That what we would walk away with this season is a deep sense that you are with us, that you are calling us to slow down, And because we slowed down, we saw the goodness of God in our midst. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Amen. I'll invite the band to come forward.